Let's just stay in the silence for just a moment. If you want to begin, sit, please sit quietly. Let's just stay in the silence for a moment. Jesus, we know you're here by the power of your spirit. We know it's not about our words or the things we do. So we pray in this moment as we sit here. May you minister to us. Open our hearts. Father, for all you do in us when we're aware of it and when we're not. In the quiet and the loud. We love you. Amen. Our reading this, this evening, I keep saying this morning, is from Matthew 12, verse 46 to 50. That's Matthew 12, verse 46 to 50, and that's page 978 in your pew Bibles in front of you, if you'd like to read it from there. From verse 46, it says, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my brother and who, uh, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray for Clive as he brings God's word this, uh, this evening. Father, we pray for this man as he, as he brings your word this evening. We know and pray of expectancy that you will speak through him. May you give us ears to hear what it is you want to say to us tonight. And may we be transformed and changed by your word. In Jesus' name. if you'll be honest with me as far as you are capable. You may or may not have heard of a personality test, a psychological questionnaire called the Myers-Briggs Personality Inventory. Anyone heard of that? Well, almost certainly you have heard of it. Two of the dimensions of that personality inventory are introversion and extroversion. And you'll have worked out that your two new pastors, Clive and Ross, are extreme introverts. Now, you're laughing because you know that's not true. We're both pretty much extroverts. My wife and I discovered one of the reasons for the joys and the challenges in our relationship many years ago when we discovered that I was pretty extreme on the, uh, on the extroversion scale and she was pretty extreme on the introversion scale. And that's why sometimes the things that now, of course, are perfectly knit together like that used to go <laughs> like that a bit. Anyone relate to that in their relationships? Yeah, and some hands in the air as well. The fact is, both Marilyn and Clive, whether to a greater or a lesser extent, need to connect and enjoy connection. Because every single human being is hardwired by, by God, in my estimation, our creator, our designer, to long for connection with him and with other people. Next question. How many of you, it's pretty old now, but how many of you have seen, and uh, maybe two hands if you also enjoyed, the movie Rain Man? Okay. Dustin Hoffman, an older brother, great actor, and Tom Cruise, a younger brother in the movie. Tom Cruise, an entrepreneurial car salesman, a bit slick, 
and a bit entrepreneurial uh, and a, a little bit maybe immoral in the way he was dealing and wheeling and dealing with cars. But his older brother, and he comes to know that it's his older brother, is an autistic savant. He's genius in one sense, but he's on the extreme of an autism spectrum where he's almost closed in and struggles to connect in the way that most human beings are able to connect. And just to ruin the movie for you completely, but I'd still urge you to go out and buy it or rent it or download it or whatever, that connection gets more and more and more likely as this older brother who copes with life through these rituals learns to trust the younger brother and the younger brother learns to come to love his older brother. And there is this awesome moment at the end of the movie where this autistic savant, played by Justin Hoffman, who struggles even to have physical contact, let alone connect in any relational way that we might understand and find usual, he just leans his head on his brother. And one simple action communicates so much. Human beings long to connect because they're wired that way. Listen to what Dr. Joanne Cacciatore has said. There is simply no pill that can replace human connection. There's no pharmacy that can fill the need for compassionate interaction with others. There is no panacea. The answer to human suffering is both within us and it's between us. We're wired to connect. So as we talk tonight, as I talk tonight, maybe as some of you ask questions about creating a culture of connection, we come to this text here and maybe the first thing that kind of hits you because of our culture is, is Jesus being rude and dismissive of his family? I think not. We don't know whether this is just an opportunity to teach that this rabbi our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ makes before he goes out then immediately to speak to his family. We don't need to read too much into the fact that some of his half-brothers and sisters, as you'll see, were maybe beginning to wonder if he was out of his mind because they don't quite get it yet. We can forgive them because the oldest half-brother, James, becomes the apostle of the great church in Jerusalem and it costs him his life. He comes to recognise that his older brother, Jesus, is in fact the Messiah and his Lord and his Saviour. What we do know is that Jesus takes this opportunity to teach that in the kingdom of God, when you come to trust God and know God, you connect with God as your heavenly Father, and you connect with Him as your brother, and you connect with each other as family. This is great news because not all of us here have had a good experience of family. In fact, some of us have had a really painful experience of family. And yet God always intended that we would connect into a loving family. So Jesus takes this opportunity. So it's a really good text. I want to look not just at this text, but at the whole concept of uh, creating a culture of connection and us connecting as human beings in three ways. I want us to look firstly at the proven science of connection. I want us to look secondly at the principle, a core principle of connection, which I've already in a sense referred to. And finally, I want us to look at the practice of connection, how we can connect well. So the first thing, the proven science of connection, there's a book called Social, written by a scientist called Matthew Lieberman. And the subtitle of the book, Social, is 
why we are wired to connect. And the whole point of the book, Social, is that this scientist is saying we are wired to connect. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way we're made. Even our brain connectivity shows us something about our need and desire for social connectivity. And he makes it clear that a healthy social environment and social interaction are absolutely crucial for our development and our well-being. Listen to one of the things he says in that book, Social. He says, we are profoundly shaped by our social environment and we suffer greatly when our social bonds are threatened or severed. Ever been through a divorce? Ever had a relationship breakdown? What's the current contemporary expression? It used to be dumped. I've been dumped. What is it now? Is it still dumped? Okay, that works, Ross says. Yeah. But it hurts. You see, even the language we use about connectivity shows that there's a link between physical and social pain. As Lieberman says in his book Social, we use language like, she broke my heart. He hurt my feelings. We actually use the language of physical pain to talk about social disconnection and the bonds being severed. And I want to you know, put the light to something. I think Facebook has got much to commend it, but there are so many dangers, not least addiction to social networking. Social networking is no substitute for human connection. Do you agree? Let me tell you, it, you might be my friend on Facebook. If you are, you'll know. I'm one of the worst friends on Facebook. I accept you because I hate rejecting people and then you never, ever hear from me again. I am just not Mr. Facebook, okay? And there are dangers of Facebook. We have guidelines that we're looking at clearly about who connects with who. And that's an important thing. But as we face the facts on Facebook, there is a deception about social networking that you might have hundreds of friends on Facebook and you think you're quite a social person, but actually... You might have lots of virtual friends, but you're in real isolation. Is that true? It's possible. Do you know, I love what I wrote, uh, what, I, what I read on a chalkboard uh, in an, uh, outside an Irish bar on the Costa del Sol. You can see I go to the most sophisticated place, uh, places for holidays. And at this Irish bar on this chalkboard, it just said in big block capitals, no, we do not have Wi-Fi. And underneath in smaller letters it said, just talk to each other. And you see it, don't you? People, on the technology, we all use it and they've got lots of advantages. Let's go a little bit deeper with Lieberman. I know you're all wondering now whether it's sociology rather than theology tonight, but let's, let's live with it for a while. Lieberman says in that book, Social, he makes the point, social neuroscience has discovered how we are hardwired to desire connection. As far as I know, he's not a Christian. But he says we're hardwired and it's established, and I quote him, our need is to reach out and to connect with others, and it's a primary driver behind our behavior. Whether you're introvert or extra, it's a primary driver. He goes further and says, schools and businesses often seek to minimize so-called social distractions. And yet he makes the point that actually, the neurocognitive resources that are then being untapped, the way our brain is wired, actually, it might lose a huge amount of productivity, learning, and well-being because we're wired that way. So while businesses and schools are saying lock down and don't get any social distractions, you might be more creative, more productive, and it might be even better for your health 
to actually allow a little bit of social connection. So this is one of the first things that we need to understand. There's a proven science behind all this. Um, I'm sure that you've heard of somebody called Diana, the late Princess of Wales. She was arguably one of those people who just had a gift of connecting. Despite the tragedy of her marriage to Charles, despite all that was going on in the background, she had this innate capacity, it seemed, despite the tragedy of her life, to connect with people, just ordinary people like you and I. And she was loved because of it. But she said in a very sad interview, towards the latter part of her life, when she wanted to get it all out there in the media, who, to be honest, hounded her, she said this, there is no better way to dismantle a personality than to isolate it. No better way than to dismantle, to dismantle a personality than to isolate it. Another doctor, Don... Dr. John Cacchiopo, in his book, Loneliness, Human Nature, and the Need for Social Connection, says this, Social isolation has an impact on health comparable to high blood pressure, obesity, lack of exercise, and smoking. Wow. Now, you don't want to do a lot of smoking, do no exercise, get ridiculously overweight, and have high blood pressure, but if you do, that's comparable to social isolation. It breaks our hearts. So that's a proven science. Let's look now a little bit, as briefly as I am able, which isn't easy, let's look a little bit at the principle. The second thing I want to look at is the principle, and the principle is this. We were created to be connected. We were designed to link. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, if you've got a Bible and you want to go there, you'll find in the first part of Genesis 2.18 that the Lord God, who created man and woman in his own image, at this stage, before woman is created, the Lord God says it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. I mean, you know the old story, don't you, about Adam? When God can see that he's lonely, and he comes and he visits Adam, and he says, Adam, I, I, I'm thinking of creating something something very special and wonderful, something called woman. And Adam says, that sounds really good, Lord. He said, oh, amazing. She's going to be so beautiful, you will hardly be able to take your eyes off her. He said, that sounds really nice, Lord. You and her will be able to talk and share your lives together and enjoy each other in a wonderful and special relationship. He said, that sounds fantastic. She will give you a reason to live and a purpose to exist other than walking with me in the cool of the day. We will together have relationships. You will fall deeply in love with her. She said, that sounds fantastic. Is it going to be expensive? And God says, it will cost you absolutely everything, Adam. It will cost you every single thing that you've got. It will cost you your whole being, your whole life, yes. Adam says, well, it sounds really great, but what could I get for a rib? That felt much flatter than I thought it was going to do. The principle is this, we're created to be connected to God, the prodigal God. The one we've been talking about in the mornings, the, the God who created us and gave us free will to choose to love him or reject him. The God who is himself connected in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Theologians came up with a wonderful word called perichoresis. 
And they talk about the perichoretic dance, almost a dance between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. An intimate community of one God in three persons. God is community. God is connected even within himself. And he created man and woman and human beings to connect with him and each other. Without the Son, there couldn't be a Father. If there's no God the Son, there's no God the Father. There's no Holy Spirit. They are intimately connected. And God made us to connect with others because he said it's not good for us to be alone. He also called us to be connected with a family. So when we go back to our core text for the simple principle, Jesus is saying this. Anyone, anyone who loves him, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, is my brother and my sister and my mother. He said, who are my mother and my brothers? Pointing to the disciples. Here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Again, don't for a minute think that Jesus isn't caring about his biological family. He's dying in agony on the cross. And John is one of the few disciples who is close by with Mary. And Jesus in agony dying, his blood being shed on that cross, says, son, here is your mother. Woman, here is your son. He wants to make sure that his mother, who he loves deeply, is looked after. He wants to make sure John is also cared for. And he knows how well he's been cared for. He cares deeply. But the thing is, you and I can be family. Whatever our experience in humanity, we can be this special family. Many people don't even know that Jesus ever had brothers and sisters. And yet in Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, they are named. Listen to this, Mark 6, 3. They're scoffing at Jesus. And they say, isn't this a carpenter? This is in Nazareth, his hometown, when he's gone back. Isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. Jesus had a biological family, but he's pointing also to his family on earth, the family that we call the church. And he wants them to be connected through sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And we can go just a little bit deeper on that one. Because if you want to know how Jesus is with family, listen to John 15, 9-17. Just listen to these words. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. This is a sign of being family, you see. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Wow, sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? It's a nice thing to do, isn't it, loving someone? Until he qualifies it. Greater love has no one than this than he lay down his life for his friends. That's exactly what he's going to do. You are my friends if you do what I command... I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. He's already told them that the Father and he will come and make their home in the disciples, by sending another one, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. To be connected through 
sacrificial love. Whoever does the will of my Father is family to me, brother and mother and sister. So that takes us to the third and final aspect. Thirdly and finally, we've looked at this principle of connecting. We looked at the proven science as the background almost to establish that we are hardwired by the Creator to connect. And the last thing is the how, the practice. You see, we can connect, but we can connect badly. But we want to connect well, don't we? So how can we connect well? What about the practice of connecting? How can we be truly connected? Listen to John 14 and verses 15 to 23. John 14. If you love me, you'll obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Before long, the world won't see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you'll realize that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus says in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I, I just want to thank everyone who plays an instrument or sings or operates technology in this church because our worship teams are absolutely amazing Servant-hearted people who help me and you to connect with God. Do you agree? Yeah, let's say thank you to And when I knew what was happening, the Spirit was drawing Beth into just let go and worship. And drawing Ricky. And somehow they were harmonizing. They didn't practice that. The Spirit was moving on their hearts. Is that right, guys? And some of us started to feel the same drawing of the Holy Spirit. And started to just open our mouths and let the Holy Spirit, hey, next week, what price? We just trust God. Have you ever heard a whole congregation singing in a song where there are no words and they didn't rehearse it, but the Holy Spirit is the conductor who is invisibly drawing from the hearts of people worship? How is that possible? Because we're connected with God and the Spirit who lives in one of us lives in the other. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. Keep going, guys. We'll get with you one day. Connecting well, it's all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Jesus within us. And if we're going to create a culture of connection, then we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. We must be connected to the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I'm not very good with cars. I'm not very good with cars at all. And um, I remember the last time I had a, a flat battery. I was pretty sure it was a flat battery, but nevertheless, I had to get the AA out. It was free anyway, and I'm a Yorkshireman, so I went for it. This guy had my car sorted in no time. One of the first things he looked at to check were the connections. Once he knew the connections were okay, he knew he could put the juice into that battery to get it going so that it could power up on its dynamo, but he had to check the connections. 
And I want to tell you, if the connections are rusty and corroded or covered in dirt, there will not be a connection and the dynamo, whatever it's called, the alternator, will not be able to charge up that battery. Forgive me if I've got the engineering wrong. When we're not connected to Father God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, to receive and to be anointed by and empowered by the Holy Spirit, it is really tough to connect. And you know, even when we are connected, if we let the grime and the crud and the dirt and the rust get on those connections, we lose connection. And not just with God, we start losing connection with each other. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, hurt. I bet there's someone sitting in here who's not really aware of it, but you've been hurt so often that you've decided the best thing to do subconsciously is to put a big brick wall around yourself so no one will ever hurt you again. That's tragic, but it happens. Connection is by loving and accepting others through authenticity and dialogue. These are some of the topics that Ross and others have been addressing. By speaking the truth in love. But listen, that's not good enough. We've got to receive the truth in love. Last Sunday night, I saw a beautiful example of this. People present, so I'm not naming names and I'm not going into details. But I saw authenticity lived out where someone said, I felt hurt. And someone else said, I am so sorry. I promise you, I never intended that. But nevertheless, I'm sorry. I saw a wonderful reconnection, which is bearing fruit. It is a beautiful way to have a culture of connection and connectivity through loving, accepting of others, through authenticity, through dialogue, and not only speaking the truth in love, but receiving it in love. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, it speaks about a community in the early church where they were devoted not just to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to worship and to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to something called koinonia, fellowship. They were devoted to an intimate connection with each other where they preferred each other, where they loved each other. And this wasn't wussy. This wasn't, it's all okay, we'll never say anything to hurt each other. This was authentic and honest. Let's park that scripture from Acts 2, 42 to 47. Let me just go to Ephesians chapter 2, 19, and we'll see what the Apostle Paul thinks at least one aspect of the church is. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens... In other words, disconnected from each other by your ethnicity, your nationality, your grouping. You're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Household, in this background and context, it meant the wider family. It meant everybody that lived under the roof. It meant everybody that was connected intimately in community together. And to be in God's household is to have a heavenly father that cares for you and wants you to connect. Paul goes on in Ephesians, and we've approached these scriptures a number of times since I've been here. In Ephesians 4, 15 to 16, I'll read it for us. Paul again tells Christians in Ephesus, will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who's the head that is Christ. We need to connect with each other. And from verse 29, he says, Don't let any unwholesome talk 
come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs. Connect lovingly, truthfully, compassionately. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what's going to be helpful for building others up according to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's how we practice connecting well. Speaking the truth in love. But it's not wussy. At the time Paul wrote Ephesians, he wrote another epistle from prison in Colossians. And in chapter 3, looking from verses 12 to 17, but I want to draw to a close so I don't have time. I just want to pick out this word admonishment that comes in the middle of this beautiful context of loving each other with kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience. He nevertheless says, verse 16 of Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. There's a time where we have to say, actually, I love you, but I I just need to challenge you. Not to hurt you, but I, I need to challenge you. It says, with all wisdom. And it's in the context of worship. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Don't even think you can start admonishing each other if you're not drawing close to God through intimate worship where your heart gets checked by God. Only when you're in the right place, when I'm in the right place, do I get the right to say, Ross, you're my brother and I love you, but I need to challenge you. And vice versa from Ross. Wow. The practice of connecting well. Good connections. I want to draw to a close by just a simple summary. God made us, hardwired us, created us to connect. Whether you're introvert or extrovert, even if at some level in the brokenness of how in a fallen world you are put together, like Justin Hoffman's character in Rain Man. There are issues there. We all, deep down at some level, long to connect. And in fact, it's unhealthy not to connect. But we need to know that this principle of connection is the way we were wired. And although it's risky, it's something we long to do, so it's worth the journey. As long as we do it, enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit, As long as we do it with a heart full of love for God, and as long as we do it with the advice that is given, then we can create this culture of connection. So in a minute I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand over to Ross, and we're going to do question time, and we've got plenty of time. But let me remind you of some things. Ross and Fiona and Clive do not have all the answers. I might even argue we don't have any of the answers, we just have some opinions. And the second thing is that the question and answer type stuff that we did last week, and the Q&A that we're going to do this week, is not everything, but it's not nothing. It's not everything, because the best way to do this is in deep relationship, maybe sitting in a home, maybe even over a meal, relating to each other, not just doing stuff in the head, 
but doing it through a deep connection of relationship. So it's not everything, but it's not nothing. And when we do it, let's remember some of those principles of connecting. Let's make sure that our heart and our motive is absolutely where it's supposed to be. But for now, a brief prayer. Father, I want to thank you so much for the joy that you give me, the joy that I experience. Maybe it's because you wired me to be a little bit more extrovert than introvert, but Lord, I love people. I do not find it hard to love people, whether your people or those who are not yet your people. I thank you that you've put that within me. The sad thing is, Father, I also find it easy sometimes without ever wanting to, to hurt people. And I find that I've got a soft underbelly and people find it too easy sometimes to hurt me as well. But Father, by your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to ask for myself and for all of us that we will be people who know that we're wired to be connected, people who will desire to be connected, and people who will be equipped to connect lovingly, authentically, and sincerely with each other. Help us, Father, in the days ahead to that end, I pray. And help us to become a church that is deeply connected with you, deeply connected with each other, and a church that will open our hearts to connect with anyone that we meet in our day-to-day lives or that you draw across our paths. We ask that together now, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.